All right, well, like I said earlier, my name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here. So glad you're here with us. We're starting a new series today at South. It's called Why Not Us? We're looking at the stories of the earliest Christians from the, the book of Acts. And, and we're also reading along in the book of Acts too. And so I know we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about not making our faith a series of checklists, but we kind of handed you a checklist this morning. So I hope you'll join with us. We're reading the 28 chapters of Acts in 28 days. You can join with us using the Bible app. If you make our church your church in that app, you'll see our featured plan, and then you can dive right in there. You can also use the list that we've given you, which you'll notice it doesn't have dates. It just says week one, two, three, and four, and that's because maybe some of you want to start the reading plan today. We're going to talk about the first seven or so chapters of Acts today. And then the next seven, and then the next seven next weeks, the next few weeks. So maybe you want to start the reading plan today, or maybe you have a hard time remembering when to read. And if you perhaps started on Wednesday, February 1st, read Acts chapter 1, February 2nd, read Acts chapter 2, and so on, you would not get mixed up, and you would be right with us. So I hope that you'll join with us in this reading plan. God's story is one of our core values here at South, and we believe that it's essential that you and I get into scripture, that we read scripture, that we process it, that we come back and read it again and again and again. My family and I, we do this Advent devotional in December, and we always go through, it's basically the whole story of scripture, and it it looks at how every instance points towards Jesus. And at one point, we were sitting around the table, and we were reading the story of Abraham when God called him to sacrifice Isaac. And if you don't know the rest of that story, it's, I'm going to leave that cliffhanger there. You should go read it after church. But as we read it, we got done, and my son Simeon said, every time we read this story, I hear something new. And that, that's just the way it goes with Scripture. Every time we approach Scripture and we come back to it, God can open our eyes to more things and to teach us more things. So I hope you'll join with us 28 days in the book of Acts. You can do it. I believe in you. It's a very accomplishable goal and also a very important thing that we process scripture together. Now as to the book of Acts, why did we choose this book specifically? Well, first off, Acts is a story and because it's a story, it's, it's easy for us to read and comprehend. If you remember back to the fall, we read the Torah together, the first story about the, the earliest chapters of God's people, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That was 100 days. That was kind of a slog. That was a lot of work. This is a little easier, but it's still a story. And so Acts picks up the same story about a 1,000 or so years later, just after the time Jesus has been here. And it's the beginning, the earliest chapters of the church, God's people again. So that's one reason that we we chose the book of Acts. The other reason is that Acts is, is about followers of Jesus who have never met him in person. For so many of the people in the book of Acts, they have not seen Jesus with their own eyes, they've not heard his voice, they've not been around his teachings personally, and and so that makes them kind of like you and me. They've heard the story about Jesus, but now they've chosen to have faith in him without ever, you know, being in the same place at him at the same time. In the Gospel of John, in John 20, 29... Jesus uh, talks to his disciples and he, he tells them that they're, they're blessed for believing in him. But then Jesus says that even more so, even more blessed are those who come after and believe without ever having seen. And so when Jesus says that, he's talking about the people in Acts, but he's also talking about you 
and me. Now, as we read Acts, I think one thing is going to stand out to you, and it's, it's, it's this. The earliest Christians were sold out. They were tuned in to where God was leading. Their faith was vibrant and active, and their prayers were powerful. And that boldness that they had, boldness in the face of persecution and adversity and all kinds of trouble, that boldness is outstanding. And it leads me to the question, it leads me to the question of asking, why not us? Why not us? And, and I'm serious about that. When you read Acts, you see all of these stories. You see, you see Stephen, who heard the story about Jesus and went out and he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he went out and he preached and he preached so powerfully that the people surrounding him were just, they could not take it. And they were mad and they were angry and they opposed his message and eventually this mob shows up and, and kills him, executes him by throwing stones at him. And even in the midst of that, he continues to speak boldly about Jesus and prays for these people to be forgiven. That's the kind of faith we see in the book of Acts. We, we have the story of this Ethiopian governmental official who is reading scripture after visiting Jerusalem to worship God and doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what's going on. God sends Philip to meet with him. And after a conversation where Philip tells him, this is what all this is about. It's about Jesus. The, the Ethiopian government official says, well, there's, there's water. Let me be baptized. And then he goes back and, and the church in Ethiopia can trace its roots today to this story in Acts. You've got this Roman governmental official, his name is Cornelius, and he hears the message about Jesus, and then he begins speaking in a language that he doesn't know, sharing the good news about Jesus, and he's baptized along with his family. You've got Lydia, this, uh, this merchant in a Roman city named Philippi. She hears the good news, responds to Jesus, and then she opens her house as kind of this free Airbnb slash center of operations for the earliest church in Philippi. And and it's just on and on and on, these stories of people whose lives have been completely transformed, completely upended by the gospel. In the midst of that, you also see in the book of Acts all of this opposition to the message of Jesus. And even despite all of this opposition and violence and, and all of these people who are against them, God's people are bold and they proclaim the name of Jesus. And because of their faith and their obedience and their boldness, the message about Jesus spreads around the world, out of Jerusalem, into Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. And I look at that faith, and I think it's amazing, it's, and it's inspiring. And then I think about my faith today, and I think it's a little less so at times. And I wonder, why not us? Why not me? If these people in the book of Acts serve the same Jesus that I serve. If God's Holy Spirit is on them and it's on me, then, then why do, do my prayers sometimes feel less powerful? And why does my faith feel less vibrant? And why am I less bold? And maybe you're there with me. That's what this series is about. That's what we're talking about for the next four weeks. And so this morning, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to jump into this question. Why not us? If the life-giving power of God's Spirit moved through God's people so powerfully in Acts, then why not us today? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These are people from all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. I want to pause right here. Before his crucifixion, Jesus had told his followers that this day, the day of Pentecost, would come. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells them, and and get this, this is hard for me, Jesus tells his disciples it's better for them that he take off and send his spirit than if he were to stay with them indefinitely. And if I would have been a disciple, I would have had a hard time with those words. Those are bold words. I have a hard time with those words today. But despite any apprehension, this day of Pentecost rolls around and the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus. And, and this moment is in many ways the birth of the church as Christians living in the power of Jesus' resurrection and, and, and living in the power of his Holy Spirit continue to boldly proclaim the message about Jesus. And God adds to their number more and more. And, and as they proclaim the message about Jesus, they, qua- they cause quite a commotion. In fact, later on you'll see you'll see the the bystanders look at them and think, are they intoxicated? What is going on here? Because they stick out and they are boldly talking about Jesus. And then the book of, uh, or the chapter, chapter two of of Acts has quite a bit of time here encapsulated. We're going to move to the end of chapter two, uh, Acts chapter two, verse 42. Some time has passed and this is what has happened. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound like the kind of church that you would want to be plugged into? A community of faith in which God's people met together often, daily. A community of faith in which they shared their possessions and their homes And they shared in meals, and they shared their time, and they shared in prayer, and they shared in the apostles' teaching. A community of faith in which God was undeniably at work among them as he added to their number every day. To me, it sounds like a a group of people who were, were fully convinced. They had heard the truth. They believed the truth. They knew it was essential, and because of that, they completely upended and rearranged their entire lives. Have you ever met someone who, whose life was on a mission, who knew that what they were doing was essential? It could be, I don't know, somebody who works for a, a nonprofit who's doing, who's doing good work uh, in a, a necessary field, maybe um, in another country or uh, among the needy in, in our city. It could be perhaps an author or journalist or somebody who is writing important things. It could be And hear me out here, it could be a politician 
who is getting into politics to make a, a positive difference in government. Somebody who's, whose life is on mission, they're driven, they know what they are doing is essential, they wake up every morning and they are ready to go, they know what the path is ahead of them and they're taking steps to get from here to there. People whose lives are on mission are focused and they know that what they do matters. And, and to me, this group of people, this group of believers in Acts chapter 2, it sounds like they were on mission. They knew they had found the truth and they had changed. It had changed their entire lives and so they were on mission. And when I read that and when I think about that, again, it makes me wonder, why not us? What keeps us from living lives as radically devoted to the cause of Christ as these people? What holds us back? What keeps us from stepping out in faith and changing the way that we live? The same Holy Spirit that lived in these people lives in you and me. It comes upon every follower of Jesus when we give our lives to him and we're obedient in baptism. And so, why not us? Now, a few years back, I did some research on on helping students transition from high school to college with their faith intact. And what I found was this, that for students, for freshman students entering college, their first six weeks are essential. It's in those first six weeks that all of their routines are being upended, and so they have to reconstruct their deconstructed life. They're independent. They're on their own. They have to make new habits, new friendships. They have to figure out how to study well, how to go to class, how to feed themselves, where to get the food. Sometimes transportation is an issue. Maybe they have to go to work somewhere. They have to figure out all of this stuff. And so those first six weeks are key for setting students up for success. And a lot of those habits that are formed in those first six weeks are habits that will continue on with these students throughout the rest of their college experience. And the friendships that are formed in those first six weeks. You know, some experts say it's not just six weeks. It's actually the first two weeks, the first two weeks of your freshman year in college and that the people you meet in those first two weeks are the ones that you'll be friends with for the rest of your life. And I don't know about you, but it was certainly that way for me. One of my best friends for the last 20 years is somebody that I met at freshman orientation at Great Lakes Christian College. So on the first day I was on campus. And we're friends to this day. And, and the time that we spent as young adults, man, we were in each other's spaces. We were hanging out. He was he, the best man in my wedding eventually, and I was the best man in his. And, you know, that, that relationship has been solid because of those first two weeks. And those of you who've been Young adults, many of us in this room, you know how those relationships go. We talked about these over the last couple of weeks, how when you're with your friends, you, are, you just want to spend all your time with them. When you're away from them, you want to get back and hang out with them. You share things together. You share your spaces and your time. This is why campus ministries like his house are, are so effective, because it's in this moment of life where you have all of this time and all of this relational energy that you get plugged in and then the gospel sinks in. But also, those, those friend groups, if you think back to your time as a young adult and the friends that you were close to, or those of you who are young adults here, you think about the people you hang out with. Man, you, you want to spend your time with them, you, you're in their spaces, so you're sharing your space with them, you're, 
You're sharing your possessions sometimes. Maybe you buy something together, maybe some furniture together, or at least food together. You're sharing food together. You're sharing all of this stuff. And what happens after you share your life and your time and your games and your movies and, and your, everything that you're about is that you experience fellowship. And at the end of your journey as a young adult, when you have to go be an adult adult or you leave college at the end of four years, or like an overachiever like I am at the end of five years, you go out and you look back and you don't want that fellowship to end. You want that to go on and on and on, and it's hard to leave that behind. And when I think about the question we're asking ourselves this morning, about why not us, why do our lives look so different than the lives of the people in Acts? Why does our faith feel so different? I think it comes down to this. I think we've allowed the fellowship to end. Now that word fellowship, it's kind of one of those churchy words. You don't hear it a lot outside of the church. When I think of fellowship, I think of potlucks, which we have one of those today. It's, It's been a long time since our church has had a potluck. I'm excited about this. My kids didn't even know what the word potluck meant. Yeah. If you didn't bring food today, we want you here more than we want your food here. And so just come, please join with us. we got the annual meeting and the potluck after this. It's going to be a time for fellowship. But that word fellowship is a translation of this Greek word here in, in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And I'm sorry we got to do this. I try to avoid this as much as possible. we got to wade into the weeds a little bit as far as languages behind uh, our Bibles go. And, and this word, this Greek word is koinonia. If you ever went to Great Lakes Christian College, you have experience with koinonia. In every translation of the Bible, I haven't read them all, but I picked up five or six and compared them. Everyone translates koinonia here. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And fellowship is something we understand. It's hanging out with people. It's, it's maybe spiritually hanging out with people. But fellowship maybe is, is not exactly what koinonia means. In fact, that word, that Greek word here, has a lot more to do with sharing in common than it has to do with fellowship. And, and actually, in my opinion, fellowship is something that comes out of koinonia rather than koinonia itself. When you share your life, when you share your space, your possessions, your faith in common with God's people, then you experience fellowship. That's what happened in in Acts 2 here with the earliest Christians. They shared their life together. They were with each other. They were supporting each other. It wasn't just they were coming to a prayer meeting and a gathering or a worship service, but then they were going out and they were doing life together and they were sharing their possessions and their finances and their time. And their attention. And I believe that when you and I do that as part of the church, that God can do something dramatic in our faith. That church becomes more than just something we go to, but church becomes something that we are. And that's why I believe this. I believe that a healthy faith is is a shared faith. A healthy faith is a shared faith. So what can you... What can you do to find that healthy faith, that vibrant, life-giving, powerful faith that we see in the book of Acts? Well, I think it's as simple as share it. Share it. 
When somebody says share your faith, you probably hear evangelism. And that's good. Telling others about Jesus is an essential part of our faith story. It's something that God expects us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? Making more disciples. That is an essential part of sharing our faith. But when I say share your faith, I mean way more than just evangelism. I'm talking about doing what the earliest church was doing here. Sharing your life with one another. Sharing your meals, your possessions, your time, your attention. Your prayer requests, yes, but also your friendship as well. I mean, the believers in the book of Acts here, their lives were deeply intertwined. How does, how does Acts 2, 42 and follow, following describe them? It describes them as sharing in, in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in meals, sharing in prayer. They, they're meeting together, shared spaces. They sold their property and possessions and shared with those in need. They shared in worship, they shared in homes, they shared the Lord's Supper, they shared in common, and so there was fellowship between them. And I think one of the biggest problems for for Christians in general, but I think for our church in specific, is, is that we don't share our lives with one another. I think that one of the biggest problems, maybe the biggest problem in our church is that we think that we can go it alone. That faith is some kind of solo sport, that that we can maybe show up to church, you know, once every three or six weeks, and in the meantime, we'll be out and we'll be doing our own personal quiet times, even if it's daily, and that it's just this thing between us and God. And and I got to tell you, if you're doing your faith that way, you're doing it wrong. When you treat your faith like it's a thing to, you know, a thing between you and God only, and you treat your church like it's a place to show up, you're kind of treating it like a restaurant. And when you go to a restaurant, what do you do? You think, how far do I want to drive? What do I want to eat today? What am I in the mood for? How was the service last time? How was the food last time? Do I like the atmosphere? Sometimes we try to treat church that way. And, and we think, okay, how far do I want to drive? How are the people there? Uh, how was the worship? How boring was that minister when he preached last time? Uh, you know, are they friendly at all? We think about all this, but when we treat, when we treat our church like it's a restaurant, a restaurant for God experiences, we just make our faith all about us. And then if we get sick of it, if something's a little off or we get bored or we just aren't feeling it, we, we disconnect and we bug out. And I mean, how many of us in this room, myself included, were at another church before we were suddenly at South Lansing Christian Church? And I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to shame you at all. I'm just saying when we don't disconnect with God, or when we don't connect with God's people, then we find reasons to leave. How many of us in this room are just here for a little while longer until you're too bored or you're too disconnected and you're shipping out? There are so many churches in this town. Brothers and sisters, our faith cannot be a solo sport. And if you've been coming to church and and instead of sharing your life with your church, then you're missing out. A healthy faith is a shared faith. And God intends for his people to live these lives that are deeply connected, deeply rooted to each other and founded on his truth. A healthy faith is a shared faith. So this week, what can you do to experience that healthy faith? Maybe take a step to share Take a step to share your life in some way. Maybe share a prayer request with somebody. Maybe share 
a meal with someone. Maybe stay for potluck. Maybe, I don't know, maybe invite someone over to your house and get to know them from your church. Sometimes I think that what God is calling us to do is often what makes us most uncomfortable. And so if you're having a hard time figuring out what God maybe wants you to do to share your faith more deeply with your church, think about what makes you most uncomfortable. Maybe it's that like having someone in your space and practicing hospitality. Maybe that's like, no way, God. God might be trying to move you there. Maybe it's potluck. Uh, I don't know who made that food. I don't know what it tastes like, and I don't know those people. I don't think I'm going to stay. If you feel uncomfortable about that, stay. Stay. Join us. What can you do this week to take steps to share your life so that it's not just a solo journey all by yourself, but that you can be the church instead of coming to the church? As we wrap up this portion of our service, I am also the small groups minister as well as the teaching minister, and uh, this was not intended to be an advertisement for small groups, but when opportunity knocks, you open that door. And so, this morning, if you're not connected, if you feel disconnected, if you don't feel like you know people here, if you are looking for a faith that's powerful and active, if you're looking for people in your corner, if you want to live a life that looks like the life of the earliest Christians in Acts chapter 2, man, make my job harder. Our, some of our small groups are at, at capacity right now. If you stop by that small groups kiosk out there and say, I want to find a small group, that'll make me have to work harder. That's good. We would love to get you plugged into community this morning. Find a small group. If you, if you find somebody around the room, many of you here are in small groups. You ask somebody, are you in a small group? I bet they'll tell you. The, the experience there in small group is life-giving as we walk together and as we follow Jesus. A healthy faith is a shared faith. Church, we pray with me? God, we come to you. And we are so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for this community that you've given us here. God, we're thankful for your story in the book of Acts and what we can learn from it. We're thankful for the apostles' teaching, for prayer, and for the Lord's Supper, and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would move in our hearts, move among us this morning that you would prompt us to take steps to actually share our lives with one another, that you would make us uncomfortable and that we would respond to you. Father, as we go throughout the rest of this month, help us to pay attention to your scripture, reading the book of Acts and and seeing those stories. Call to our minds things that we need to pay attention to and things that we need to learn from. Help us to see the story of how you have moved among your people for generations, for thousands of years. Help us to find confidence in that. God, connect us together as your people. Help us to live this shared faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point in our service, we respond to God, and we do so in worship as we give back in a few minutes. We do so in worship as we sing some songs and tell God how much we love him. We do do so in worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is that meal that Jesus instituted on the night he was betrayed. and He told his followers to remember him by sharing these things. So we share this bread that reminds us that Jesus' body was sacrificed for you and me, broken so that we could be right with God. We share this, this juice that represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for us. 
Again, so we could be right with God. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And now followers of Jesus around the world and throughout history do this on a weekly basis. We share in the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus has done for us. And so we invite you as we sing to come and join us at one of the tables around the room. And now would you stand and join us in worship.